to V-Back Birth Stories, a podcast where Australians share their journey to a vaginal birth after caesarean. We are a safe haven for women to share their own V-Back journeys and through these personal experiences, educate and empower listeners. I'm your host, Mel. And I'm your host, Steph. And this is V-Back Birth Stories. Hi everyone, it's Mel here. Welcome to the final VBAC Birth Story episode of the year. Steph and I can't wait to bring you more episodes in 2021. And we would like to take this opportunity to thank all of our amazing, amazing guests for sharing your stories and experience with us and our wonderful listeners for your support and your lovely feedback. If you are enjoying the pod and listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate if you can take a moment now to leave us a review or just hit us up with five stars. We'll take either, gladly. <laughs> and if you are not aware, we are on Instagram and Facebook, so just search for VBAC Burt Stories if you'd like to connect with us. So without further ado, let's get into today's beautiful VBAC journey. We chat to Siobhan, who lives with her husband and two children in the sunny Gold Coast. Siobhan's first baby was presenting footling breach at the end stages of her pregnancy and after an unsuccessful ECV, that's an external cephalic version where they turn, try to manually turn the baby while in utero, uh, she reluctantly signed on the dotted line accepting a planned cesarean birth. Whilst the cesarean was textbook and she wasn't separated from her baby, she did experience challenges with breastfeeding and also had postpartum anxiety. In her next pregnancy, she knew she wanted a VBAC from the get-go, but a second breach presentation and no support from her hospital in attempting a breach VBAC led Siobhan to take matters into her own hands, determined to have a successful ECV to give her the best chance of experiencing the kind of birth she always wanted. Siobhan raises important points on breach birth and how the maternity system can better facilitate breach presentations and potentially prevent many elective cesareans which are performed for this reason, oftentimes without the presence of fully informed decision making. So thank you, Siobhan, for sharing your story with us and for highlighting options for breach babies and breach feedback. We hope you all enjoy this episode and we look forward to bringing you more VBAC birth stories in 2021. Thanks so much, Siobhan, for joining us today and sharing your VBAC journey. Would you like to start by telling us a little bit about yourself? A little bit about me. I've been a customer service officer for about eight years and I have two little ones now. I have Lachlan, who will be four in a few months, and Elsie, who's 18 months old. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your ideas around childbirth before you felt pregnant the first time? I think with my son, I always just expected that I would give birth vaginally. I, since I was a little girl, I, want, I actually wanted to give birth without drugs. And the reason being is that I was born, like when my mother gave birth to me, she didn't have any drugs. Not that that was by choice, but because I was born in a car on the way to the hospital. Oh, wow. <laughs> With my older brother, she had the epidural and all of that but I was a little unexpected. So I always sort of thought when I was a young girl, I was like, oh, you know, I was born like that, then I want to give birth that way. So 
yeah, um, that's what I sort of went into expecting. But apart from that, I thought that's just, you know, how it would play out. I didn't really think anything about Caesarean. I didn't think that that would come into my story at all. Mm. And, and how was your pregnancy with Lachlan? Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, so my pregnancy with Lachlan was textbook. I was, it was amazing. I uh, didn't get sick, felt, you know, completely active and no pain and, you know, started doing all the, the courses, the water birth courses throughout the, the pregnancy and, you know, preparing for life after that. And, yeah, throughout the pregnancy I would occasionally go for scans at a facility where they would train people to be sonographers. So, you know, I got to go have a couple of little extra scans and I remember... At my, I think it was about 35-week appointment, the midwife said that he was you know, head down, left side posterior. But I still remember the look on her face when she said that. She was really, really uncertain. I think mostly because I, you know, I went through the program where I would have a different midwife each time. It wasn't the same midwife. So that, that look on her face really still haunts me because it was only about a week later that I went for a scan at this facility and I walked in and I said to them, I'm like, yep, sorry, you should be head down, left side, posterior, that's what they said. And, you know, you have a quick check with the instructor before they have the students come in. And she had a quick look and she said, no, no, definitely not, he's breech. And then all of a sudden the students came in and they were scanning me and I didn't really have time to take that in. I was just so overwhelmed. The students were saying, oh, you know, you know, very unlikely to have a vaginal birth. And I was just sort of like absolutely gobsmacked. <laughs> Prior to going in for the scan, I had been trying to get in touch with a student midwife because I, you know, wanted, you know, the extra support because I didn't have a lot of external support. And she I had finally contacted me all around the same time, but she hadn't yet met me. And she was going to come meet me for my formal 36-week appointment at the hospital. And yeah, up at this point, I uh, found out that he was breached. And so my first meeting with my student midwife, I'd been crying and, you know, trying to accept that, you know, I didn't really know what was going to happen from there. Did your hospital give you any options about delivery from this for this baby? The hospital that I was going to is trying to be breach friendly, I suppose you would call it, but so when I went in, I spoke with the midwife and I said, he's breached. She said, oh, okay, you know, we can look at an ECV. And they had the obstetrician come in and speak with me. And he actually suggested you could look at breach birth. But from the scan, they said that he was footling. And as soon as I said footling, he said, no, 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 <laughs> can't do that. So they discussed a little bit about uh, spinning babies. So they said, I'll go on the spinning babies website, got information from there. Um, I started doing my own research and I went to see an acupuncturist, tried to find one that specialised or, you know, said that they had experience with breach. So I did that. And then I did moxibustion and, you know, he just wouldn't budge. And then, so we'd come 30, 37 weeks. We went in for an ECV. I had my hospital bag packed and took that all in, ready to go in case anything happened. There was two obstetricians, both, you know, pushing, trying to turn him. And they could only get his head because he was his head was right up, you know, not, they could only get it to go so about 10 or like 10 or 2 o'clock. They gave me the uterine relaxant. Yeah. And then basically once the ECV was over or, you know, they had attempted for about 20 minutes, they just said, oh, 
you know, you could try again, but it's not likely to work. And, you know, here's a form. And I didn't even really know what the form was for and to sign for a cesarean. And they just told me to pick a date and they gave me a selection. I was like, oh, it was so overwhelming. In hindsight, I would have really liked to have at least a day or two to, to think about it rather than signing on the dotted line. And, you know, being a young first-time mother with not a lot of support, I just sort of felt like, oh, I've signed now, then that's what I have to do. Mm. You know, so much you find out afterwards, you know, I think doing further research into breach and what options are available, even with him being footling, you know, there was potential for him to lift that foot up and then I could have considered breach birth and I would have had someone said that that's a possibility because at one scan he was shown to be frank breach but Mm. then another he was footling. How were you feeling towards the end of that pregnancy once you had that information and you were given the form to sign? Finally those few weeks after I think at that point I was like accepting I well I was I think maybe trying to put a brave face on and I was trying to make light heart of what was happening and I think there was also there's that little hope inside that maybe he might just turn on his own and yeah so I sort of thought oh okay well he's no not going to turn I'll just put my feet up and relax and enjoy these last few weeks which was nice I think in a way but then you're going in that was a bit different (laughs) I think um, all those emotions that I'd sort of been trying to put aside came up so Were you worried going into surgery, even though it was elective and you had time to prepare yourself mentally, were you still concerned and nervous on the day? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think I had looked into all the statistics and that there's a higher rate of um, mortality for cesarean than there is for vaginal birth. And so all those sort of things that have played on my mind, especially seeing as I was walking myself into the hospital for it. And I just didn't, just, I think it just didn't sit right with me. I remember walking up to the counter and I said to the lady, you know, oh, you know, I'm booked in this morning. Oh, well, initially she said, no, what can I get for you? I sort of said, um, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it all just felt like I was, you know, going to a counter and all. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> but pressing a button and then this baby would appear <laughs> magically. And did you have someone with you when you were going in and, and waiting? And- yeah, I have to say, and I think that's what I kept reminding myself, you know, if I, for me, I think going in for a scheduled cesarean was, I had to keep sort of saying, okay, it's, it's probably better than having an emergency, you know. And it, and it was like, as far as they go, it actually was really good. Apart from it not being what I wanted, it was actually quite good. They were all really, really lovely. And they, you know, I felt like they really were trying to take care of me. The anaesthetist was great. My husband was with me. Theatre had my, my student midwife came with me as well. So as far as it all went, I actually look back on it like the, the procedure and birth was, was good. Yeah, I think I was just, you know, so attached to something else that, yeah, it was sort of hard to move on from that. Did you get skin to skin with Lockwood? Yeah. Yeah, and, and having your midwife, your student midwife there to support you, how did that play out in the theatre? Did that help you as well? Yeah, it was really good. I think it was actually my student midwife. It was her 
first birth that she had attended. Oh, or, wow. Yeah, so it was really nice having just that extra person there, this, you know, familiar face. And But for Lachlan's birth, I mostly remember my husband being there. He was great. And we got lots of great photos of his birth. And, yeah, it, the, yeah, the birth was good. What came sort of after, we struggled with breastfeeding a bit in the beginning, which is sort of, again, that was another thing that I sort of, but oh, if I can't give birth vaginally, then I'm I'm doing that. <laughs> I'm going to breastfeed. Lachlan come with you to recovery. Yeah, yeah. So he wasn't separated from me. The only thing that they they didn't do that I would have liked them to have done, and they had agreed to initially, was delayed cord clamping, which is something they can offer. And we discussed it multiple times, but then somewhere along the lines there was miscommunication but yes it wasn't separated from me apart from being weighed and measured and did you try breastfeeding in recovery we did but he i think maybe it was all you know the medication he was quite sleepy he yeah just wouldn't sort of latch later we'd gone into our room that's when i remember my student midwife coming in and she was you know helping me express to try and get some colostrum out for him kept trying to get him latched and it just like he was just too tired and then it sort of became a little bit of a vicious cycle that he became sort of jaundice and then he was more tired and then trying to get him to latch it's just um were you, in terms of your recovery afterwards, were you in any immediate pain following the cesarean or were you feeling okay? Pretty good. I think my recovery was quite good. I was up and showering that afternoon. I you know, was requesting to get out of bed as soon as possible um, because I knew that that would help with recovery itself. You know, once the pain medication, sort of once we lowered that, you know, then there was a bit of pain and for a few weeks afterwards at home. but. No, the recovery itself was pretty good uh, while at hospital. How did your breastfeeding experiences follow on from there? Did you did you continue or? Yes, we did. It, mm-hmm. I ended up long term breastfeeding with Lachlan oh, after, cool. okay, cool. um, after quite a number of challenges with him. So we finally got home, and I used ended up using breast shields because one of the midwives at the hospital she. Apparently not supposed to recommend them, I'm not sure. But she sort of said, oh, just maybe try nipple shields. And then that actually was, I remembered at home a day or two later after expressing, expressing, expressing. And I tried it and it worked and I was so happy. (laughs) I went through numerous challenges over, fed him for 20 20 months. Yeah, went through breast refusal and all sorts. (laughs) Then trying to wean. But I was really, really I'm proud of um, persevering with that. And I got a private lactation consultant to come see me at home and she was amazing. Just tiny little changes that fixed it all. Great at you, sort of support. Yeah. And got yeah. There. yeah. So after the experience in the hospital, after the birth, were you given any recommendations for future pregnancies and whether you'd be suitable for vaginal birth in the future? I actually was told when... I, I think once the ECV had been unsuccessful, I you know, met with the midwife afterwards and she said then, before Lachlan was even born, she said, oh, you know, if you want to have more kids, you know, you can have a VBAC next time. When she said that, and I knew that I wanted more children. I think in that period between, you know, the unsuccessful um, ECV and, and Lachlan's birth, 
I had already started researching VBAC because I was like, well, I'm doing it next time. Wow. (laughs) So even though that first experience, I mean, would you say that it was a fairly positive cesarean experience as far as cesareans could go? Yeah, I, I would say that, yeah, it was positive. The procedure and the support during the process, it was great. I think it's more so, I, in hindsight, sort of hoping that there was just that little bit more information about options. But apart from that, the entire process was amazing. And so what part of you sort of felt that, even though that wasn't a negative experience, what part of you was saying, okay, I don't just want to go in for the elective cesarean again? What was veering you towards the VBAC path, I guess? I think it was mostly that I wanted to experience it and what what birth like you know labor and birth I wanted to understand that you know I wanted to see what my body could do really because it's it's such a, a primal thing that your body just does and you can't make it do it <laughs> and I wanted to understand that feeling and between Lachlan's birth and and falling pregnant with Elsie I think you know, I think I learned more about, you know, how amazing it can feel during and after the birth and and how much it can help like with breastfeeding as well. I think because I had so many troubles with Lachlan like with breastfeeding and also, you know, I think there was a bit of postpartum anxiety that if I could alleviate them, that, then that would be great. <laughs> Do you want to take us now to... Elsie's pregnancy and and how that went. Yeah, I fell pregnant while I was still breastfeeding Lachlan. Yeah, again, Elsie's pregnant uh, pregnancy was fairly similar. I actually really thought that I was going to be having another boy because it was so similar. No sickness again. I felt happy and you know energetic. And I remember again, I went back to the facility where they taught people to um, become sonographers. So I think it was about. Uh, week 23 and week 25 and I was like okay so this is when baby starts to get into position and I, I had been accepted into our local birth center which was great because I didn't think that I would get into that but I remember talking with my midwife and I sort of said oh you know I'm really worried about baby being breech again and she's like no that won't happen you know it's so unlikely and okay you know and we talked about it a few times and I had gone to get the scans and 23 25 weeks she was head down and I was like okay all right baby's in position this is good did you um have a plan for if Elsie was breech again would you have still attempted a VBAC or would yeah what had you thought of that at all in your mind or Um, I'm not sure at that stage whether or not I had, but there was throughout the pregnancy, there was definitely mention of breech feedback and yeah, and I had, you know, started investigating that, but yeah, so I think it was about 27 weeks and I remember feeling the flutters low down in my, my, Mm. around my cervix and I was like, oh no, that, that doesn't feel right. Not again. And my husband's like, no, you just... You know, it's not possible. She's, I'm sure she's fine. She's still, you know, last week she was head down. I was, and I couldn't shake the feeling. I was like, no, this definitely feels very, very familiar. And then, 
I I booked myself in for just a private scan, just you know, one where people normally go just to have a little look at baby before baby's born. Yeah, and she said, uh, "Baby's breech," and I had you know, Lachlan there with me. I was like, "No, not again!" I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, "She was head down a few weeks ago. What happened?" I went to see my my midwife, and I said baby's breach <laughs> and I had you know, contacted my student midwife who's actually an acupuncturist as well and I said I need to see you the baby's breach and she um <laughs> throughout her I think she had to follow 20 women throughout her studies and she had some crazy number of breach women and they all started from me <laughs> oh. <laughs> So we're trying to work out who was the jinx. Yeah. <laughs> how oh. many weeks? How many weeks were you at this point? Did you say twenty-eight weeks yeah. when I hadn't had the scan? And you know, my midwife's like, "No, no, it's fine. You know, baby will move." And every appointment, I go in and she says, "Baby still breach." I'm like, "Baby still breach." <laughs> the further and further along I went. Oh, the more I went down this little rabbit hole of trying to find things to turn to turn baby. Before you found out baby was breech, did you start doing anything to try and prevent baby being breached? Like, was that on your mind before that? I had started seeing just an osteopath yeah. um, just to make sure that the pelvis was aligned, you know, to encourage, you know, yeah, good positioning. And I had started doing a few of the um, the minor things with spinning babies just to encourage good positioning. Um, so no reclining on the lounge and, you know, trying to sit slightly tilted forward and, you know, even sitting on the, the birth ball, just trying to rotate, but nothing really extensively. It sounds exactly like what I did as well. And so we'll take you back to where you were before. After that scan and 28 weeks, yeah, where were you at? I was yeah, researching everything I possibly could to turn baby. I found a special chiropractor rather than the osteopath. I wanted somebody who specialised in, what was the... Webster technique? Webster technique, yeah, that was it. Sorry, yeah. And there was only one that I could find on the coast and you know, booked in to see her and she had a bit of a waiting list and I was like, I don't have time to wait, <laughs> need to get in. And I ordered the hypnosis track to try and, you know, you can turn breach with hypnosis. I even got homeopathics, so pulsatilla, which can sort of relax the uterus a little bit so that there's space for baby. Again, acupuncture, I was seeing my student midwife and ordered a big box of moxibustion sticks. I ended up breaking my ironing board from trying to lie on it upside down. Oh my so god! So many times. <laughs> the things that breech babies make you do. <laughs> I know. I think I, at this stage I joined a, a breech support page, which I hadn't done with my son, which would have been great. I joined that, and then that's when a lot of information started to come to light. You know, extra things that I didn't know about. And I was also on a VBAC support page as well. And then I kept seeing this doctor pop up and, you know, oh, he turned my baby, he turned my baby. Or if he didn't turn my baby, then he supported breech birth, he supports breech VBAC. And I was like, 
who is this doctor? And I didn't even think that I would be able to go outside of my hospital, let alone go anywhere else to go seek support. But the more information I gathered, I realised that that was a possibility. And I think coming up to 36 weeks, I think it was a couple of days beforehand, and I said to my husband, and I'm like, I know this is crazy, but I want to try and see this doctor. I said, I'm like, I can't believe that I have another breech baby. How is this possible? How do you have two? (laughs) I thought he'd be like, no, you know, you can't go like that far while you're heavily pregnant and you've got a toddler just to try and turn her. And, um, but he said, well, do it then. And I was like, oh, okay. So it isn't that crazy. Maybe I can. And I thought, well, I've got to get in to see him. I've got to, got to have him accept me first. So the next day I called the hospital and I spoke with one of the midwives on the maternity ward. And I said to him, I have, this is my second breech baby. I said, there's nothing, nothing wrong with my uterus. I don't have a bicornea uterus. I don't have a septum. So there's no reason why I would have a second breech baby. I want him to turn her because he he taught other obstetricians how to do ACVs or he would teach other obstetricians how to support breech birth or support or teach midwives you know breech guru kind of guy and and she said oh okay well you know I'll, I'll talk to the doctor and I'll give you a call back and this is you know my last day of work <laughs> I should have been working, but I was making phone calls trying to see this doctor. I was going straight from work to my 36-week appointment. And a few minutes later, my phone caught my ring. I was like, hey, it's the midwife, you know. And I answered and it was the doctor. And so he's like the head of obstetrics and he's calling me because my little story. And um, he listened and he said, oh, won't they perform one at your hospital? And I said, well, they will but it was unsuccessful with my son. So I don't really have as much confidence in them to do it again. And if I want, if I'm going to get somebody to do it, then I want you to do it. And, um, and he said, yeah, sure. Well, you know, make your way down here and let me know when you're here and I'll fit you in. And I couldn't believe it. So finished work and went straight up to my appointment so my student midwife was there and my midwife and she said, I went into the appointment again and she said, is baby still breached? I said, baby's still breached. <laughs> so she goes, right, let's book this ECV in. And I said, well, <laughs> I've actually, I've actually organised to go see a, a doctor, um, a breach specialist in Sydney. <laughs> and she's like, okay, all right. <laughs> I thought she was going to look at me like I was crazy, but they're just so supportive. So she's like, okay, well, I'll go talk to the obstetricians and I'll get you a letter, get everything ready, get you an ultrasound ready because I needed to have a formal ultrasound for measurements, etc., to take down to him. And she got everything all lined up. And yeah, and then the next week, me, 37 weeks with my toddler in tow, went, got on the plane and flew down to Sydney as soon as I landed, I called the doctor and I said, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, okay, well, come in tomorrow. 
And then he called me back because I was actually going to go stay with his family. He said, oh, actually, I can fit you in this afternoon. Come up. <laughs> My very busy toddler was amazing. He was an absolute angel, which I was just so shocked by. We got there and then in that time of turning around, the maternity ward had got busy again. So we waited, we met with him. He did some checks and he said, look, I can't fit you in this afternoon as I thought I could. But he said, but I'm confident that I can move her. So I went back to where I was staying, borrowed their ironing board, <laughs> light upside down again, and, and then went back up the next day and we waited to see him. I think we waited a fair while, but I was willing to wait as long as it took. And then he got us in and took us up to the birth suite, which is where he performs the ECVs. And it was just really different to with my son, whereas, you know, two obstetricians and all these nurses and whereas I went into this birth suite with it was just me and him. The thing that he did differently that the other that they didn't do with Lachlan was he would use the ultrasound as he was going. So, you know, he could sort of see what was happening. Yeah, and he said, I'm gonna try it without the uterine relaxant. We'll see how we go. And so just did some gentle pushing and he said oh he had another little look and he goes I'll give it one more go and then I'll I'll go get the uterine relaxant. And how are you feeling at this point was it was it uncomfortable or was it okay that it was okay okay it was it's just like having a massage on your tummy Hmm. Um, you know just gentle pressure it wasn't even it was probably a little firm but not there was no pain whatsoever and you know I had learned a lot about hypnobirthing and practice a bit of that so I think that had helped I, you know, I was trying to keep myself calm and relaxed that can also help the process yeah then he um, said oh, I'll give it one more go and so he started just gentle pushing again and then he put the Doppler down and I thought oh, okay that doesn't work she's going to go get the uterine relaxant I was lying there going this baby's not going to move <laughs> and he said that's it baby's turned <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, what? I couldn't, couldn't believe it. I didn't, it didn't even feel it. I didn't feel her, you know, like no major shift. I made him show me on the ultrasound because I did not, I was like, no way. I didn't feel a massive, like it should have felt like this huge thing turning. Mm. Um, was Bub Frank breach or Fuzzling breach before the turn? She was Frank breach. Okay. So the difference again was that, Elsie's measurements, so say her head and her hips, were more ideal for breech birth, whereas Lachlan's head was slightly larger, so not as ideal. Also her positioning being frank breech, much more ideal. But when it came to breech VBAC, <laughs> everyone looked at me like I had two heads. <laughs> your hospital, your local hospital, were not willing to support a breech VBAC. No, not even the birth centre, unfortunately. I suggested it because I was, you know, I, I was willing to try and especially knowing that she was Frank Breach. And I think there was something in me. I was like, I can do this. I can. I think, you know, being a second time mum, you just have that much more confidence in your ability, regardless whether or not you had laboured. Um, I think you just, just know what you can and can't do. And I knew I could. But when I suggested it, my midwife, she said, she goes, she would love to be able to do it, but um, it's not something that 
that that the hospital will support. Basically, if I was to do it, it would be pretty difficult. I remember saying to her before going to Sydney for my ECV, I said, said, okay, if baby doesn't turn, I said, I'll accept the cesarean, but I'm not doing it until I'm in labour. And she looked at me, she's like, why is that? You know, I said, I want to know that I have done everything that I can to give this baby a chance at being born uh, vaginally. I just couldn't leave any stones unturned where I felt like with Lachlan, I look back and I'm like, the what ifs? What if I, what if I had waited a little bit longer rather than having a cesarean at 39 weeks? What if I had given him more time? Or what if I had known to do more research and I could have, you know, attempted to go see this doctor then? Or so many different options. Whereas LCDs, I don't walk around, don't walk away with the what ifs. I know that I did everything I could. Um, Absolutely, yeah. You've got a bub that's head down now. At yeah. how many weeks is this? 30, 37 37? weeks. Yeah. So your plan, I suppose, was to go into labour spontaneously. Yeah. How did those last few weeks go, and how did you come to meet Elsie? So I think another thing I also knew. I just knew that from the beginning. I was like, oh, I'll if you know obviously didn't really consider baby being breached but I was like I'll go over for sure I'll definitely go over I know that I will so I could get to 40 weeks and say yep okay knew I'd go over and so I was fine getting close to 41 weeks and my midwife was like okay so might need to start discussing options for induction I don't want induction you know I said I know how much that can impact the VBAC. I said, like, I've got baby head down and I feel fine. But she sort of suggested that we book one in and if I needed to, then we could just reschedule it and move it. We'll just book it in to keep the hospital happy, I suppose. And then she offered a stretch and sweep, which I initially was a little opposed to. But I think come 41 weeks and... You start to really, it's just, you get into a whole nother headspace. It's something else. It's sort of, you know, start thinking, when is this baby coming and what can I do to get baby to come? And so when she offered it to me, and I think it was more so because I trusted her too, that I, I was even, you know, she's like, okay, we'll just do a vaginal exam and then we'll discuss whether or not you want to do a search and sweep. And she did the exam and she said, look, you know, do you want to have a stretch and sweep? I sort of said, oh, uh, I don't know. She said, look, you have to make up your mind. It's up to you whether or not we do. I said, okay. So we did the stretch and sweep and I sort of walked out of there thinking, well, that's not going to work. <laughs> and then I went and met with a friend for coffee and sort of was having back aches. And she, she said, oh, you know, she knew that I had gone to the doctor and had a stretch and sweep. She said, oh, you getting pains and I'm like no it's just a bit of a sore back which you know is not anything new for me you know I've had back pain on and off over my life so I just sort of thought it was that in pregnancy and she had that little look she you know, she'd had three kids so she's like yeah I think you're probably going to go into labor <laughs> <laughs> and um, I thought no 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 and then went home that night and just sort of relaxed didn't really think anything of it and I didn't expect to go into labor the next morning we woke up my husband 
was going to work really close by. Um, he works on different contracts, so sometimes he can be really far away, but thankfully at that time he was nice and close. And I was starting to get these regular sort of pains and didn't really think anything of it. I thought, oh, maybe that's Braxton Hicks because I hadn't really had any Braxton Hicks and let him go off to work. And I thought, oh, probably if it is anything, it'll probably be a regular and nothing will come from it. And then, so that was about six o'clock in the morning and then he'd gone to work and then I started timing a few. I said, like, okay, they're kind of regular. Probably better take Lucky to daycare. By the time I had got him organised, they were getting a bit stronger, you know, to the point where I'd have to sort of stop and breathe. So I went and dropped him off at daycare and being overdue and all the daycare ladies like, oh, still pregnant. I'm like, mm. you know, in the middle of a contraction, can't talk and just nodding my head. <laughs> And then trying to say goodbye to Lockie and the one morning he wants to be a bit clingy. And I'm like, I love you, buddy, but mummy's got to go. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I dropped him off at daycare and then drove home. Yeah, I had about two hours at home on my own. I think I had messaged my student midwife. I said, oh, look, I'm starting to get some contractions and they're kind of regular. I had got in contact with my midwife and she had been at a birth that night. She's like, oh, look, I'll try and get some sleep and you know, assuming that I would have a long labour um, and that she would be able to wake up and, you know, come up for my birth. <laughs> and then she had, because I have um, teams of about three or four um, through the birth centre, so she had one of the other uh, midwives that I had met. So she came to see me, check on me, you know, and they, they don't tell you anything. They, they like to keep you a little bit, I suppose, a little bit in the dark. They don't want to give you all the the numbers and the figures so that you can just progress sort of a bit more naturally rather than thinking oh I'm only at you know one centimeter one centimeter and I'm having all these pains or yeah so quite good with that and so she came to check on me she she said oh look I have to put some notes in your in your book but you know we're not going to discuss those obviously as soon as she left I've gone and scoured through the book to find out where I was up to so I was about three centimeters then and I think <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> I know I think I wanted to have this natural birth but here I am I still can't stop analyzing everything <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a planner <laughs> yeah. yeah um so how did you feel when you saw that you were three centimeters in, in the in the notes yeah I think it was good she said oh look you know she said oh look do, do you want to have another stretch and sweep that might help things along and so I consented to a stretch and sweep then and she said look give it a couple more hours and then maybe head on up to the hospital so I've looked through the book and afterwards I was like okay three centimeters fully effaced so it's like okay fully effaced is good my husband had only just arrived home at, like a moment before she had got there to check me so then I continued on getting in the shower, which was amazing. Loved the shower. And I had um, got a TENS machine as well. So I was doing that at home. I was using an app to, to monitor my contractions. And I don't know what I did with the function, but somehow I was miscalculating how far apart my contractions were. It was actually including the contraction and the time. So I thought I was still at about four or five minutes apart, but that was actually the entire time so really I was only three minutes apart I had been like that for a while and you know it was the app was going off with these warnings saying oh you know you should go up to the hospital and my husband's seen it and he's like it says we should go and I'm like no no we're not going anywhere I'm not I'm fine I'm fine here I don't want to go he's sort of started 
pottering about and packing up the bags and I'm like stop it I'm fine you know it's not time to go yet I don't know what that app's doing but it's not we're not ready to go and then he decided to call the midwife again and they had changed shifts again but they because they had such a busy night on the labor ward all of that team was off duty so I had been handed over to another midwife from another team that I hadn't met and she was on the phone to my husband she said oh look I'll come over and check her again and then a few minutes later she called and she said oh look oh I'm stuck in traffic my husband's like you know I think we should I really think we should go up to the hospital and she sort of said to him oh you know she could hear me in the background <laughs> she said oh okay <laughs> maybe I'll just meet you at the hospital <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's packed us all up and even then I still would have happily stayed at home. So we got into the car and then I messaged my student midwife who throughout all of this, we had become quite close and, you know, I knew because she was a single mum with kids and she, she sent me a joking message earlier that day. She said, right, just hold out until three o'clock for me because I have childcare issues. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Um, I think I got into the car like a few minutes before three. <laughs> I got in the car and everything slowed down. All the contractions slowed down. I said, oh, that message to her. I'm like, oh, they've got further apart. I said, oh, they're still just as intense. But, yeah, like they were like about seven minutes apart. And we're probably about 20 minutes away from the hospital. Got there and parked. And my husband, he's very particular about parking. So he's back and forth, back and forth, and I'm in the middle of a contraction. And I'm like, stop moving the car. <laughs> we got out, and I think just trying to walk across to the hospital, I think I had at least two contractions. So once we got there, they started to speed up again, got out of the car. And then I remember ducking into this little alleyway before getting into the hospital doors and um, was having a contraction. And... Uh, someone who works there seen me and she said, oh, I'll get you a wheelchair. And she's run off to go get a wheelchair. And she was taking a little while, so I started walking again. But then she caught up with us. And my husband, I don't know what he was doing with the chair and the bag. And oh, he was going, trying to go so gingerly. And I was like, move, move, move the chair. <laughs> and uh, I got up to um, the birth suite and they were checking me in. And, um, and they're again in the middle of a contraction. She's like, you, do you have the urge to push? And I was trying to say, no, I don't have the urge to push. The uh, birth centre midwife hadn't arrived yet. We went into one of the birth suites and they had one of the uh, the core unit midwives come to admit me. And, you know, she sort of was just doing normal checks and whatever. She said, oh, you know, it's a normal low-risk pregnancy. And I said, yes, you know, low-risk said apart from a VBAC and you know, she just um, looked at me as soon as I said VBAC and sort of it's like okay we'll have to do all these things you know get the monitor rather than ask me whether I wanted to be monitored or whether I wanted to have a cannula it was just automatic procedure I suppose I had um, already consented to the monitoring because I knew that my hospital had waterproof monitors but I was still on the fence about the cannula but I had decided that I would but I was particular about where I wanted the cannula I didn't want it in the back of my hand I knew that if I did need to have another cesarean that I didn't want it in the back of my hand so that it could move my hand trying to hold my baby and trying to get my 
push myself up out of the bed and and even while during labor I didn't want it in the back of my hand if I was you know clenching or trying to hold on to anything so I asked for them to put it in the side of my arm and she's like oh I, you know I don't know if I'll get it in and so well can you just try and and she did get it in which was great so I felt more confident having that I think I had just sort of started stripping down and I'm like I need to get in the shower <laughs> I was still trying to do all their checks and got in the shower and then my midwife had arrived, but then she was just left me in the shower. She was talking with my husband and my student midwife arrived. And my husband said later that he could just see how much I relaxed when my student midwife got there. I think because we, you know, we had become really close, you know, she helped me with the acupuncture. She actually helped me with the acupuncture to fall pregnant with Elsie. Mm. I really trusted Mel. And so I did, I felt a lot better knowing that she was there. And then they were trying to get the, the bath ready for me. It was funny, the, um, the obstetrician at that uh, one of the appointments, you know, the antenatal appointments, you know, so I said, oh, no, no, you can't, you can't birth in the water. Like, you, can use, you can use them for pain relief, but you can't birth in the water, not being a VBAC. <laughs> and I remember walking out and my midwife said to me, she said, don't worry about that. <laughs> you can cool. birth in the water if you want to. They're not going to get you out. <laughs> so um, at this point, I knew that Elsie was posterior. I think I had known prior to going into labour that she was posterior. So I had started doing some spinning babies to try and move her into a better position. But it was this funny thing. I didn't want to do too much for posterior because I didn't want to accidentally get it a flip again. <laughs> so it's like, okay, I'll just do a little bit of the, you know, all fours sort of stuff. I'm not going to do any upside down <laughs> things to try and turn her um, into a better position I'm like I'd rather posterior than breach and it was pretty intense the posterior labor I remember it just would radiate up my back and down my legs yeah and then so I was in the, sh the shower was such a relief though that was amazing and then I remember sort of saying though I think I really want the gas though <laughs> I really really need a, a little bit extra because this is pretty full on and they'd got me in the bath which was great really loved the bath once I had gotten the bath and I'd had a little bit of gas I felt really good. I remember sort of relaxing and chatting. And I remember asking what time it was and whether Lachlan had been picked up from daycare. And my student midwife, she's like, really? Does that really matter? <laughs> At uh, this point. <laughs> I, know, I know. And so when I had got to hospital, I was five centimetres, which they, had, again, hadn't told me. So I didn't really know where I was at. I was in the bath and it had sort of kicked up a notch again. My waters must have broken while I was in the shower. I had had my bloody show while I was getting ready to get into the shower, moved into the bath, and then all of a sudden I was like, okay, I don't think I, I think I really need some more pain relief than this, you know. Um, I remember sort of saying, like, I don't, I didn't know what I signed up for. You know, I didn't labour with my son, so I didn't know what... I remember sort of saying, I need the epidural. I'm like, I really need the epidural. My student midwife knew that I didn't want that. She, I could hear her saying to my husband, she's like, baby will be here really soon. But because I was on all fours because of posterior in the bath, my student midwife, she was holding the, the monitors on me. She was reaching in the bath the whole time I was in there to hold the monitors on for me because Aww. they kept talking about having their the clip put on scalp clip 
yeah. And I was like, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. Because the obstetricians kept fussing because they weren't getting a good reading. And my midwife suggested that I try sterile water injections. And I said, is baby still posterior? Because I didn't really, I think I was going into a haze at that point. Didn't really know what was going on. She said, yeah, baby's still posterior. So I knew that that would be, that could be helpful for posterior labor. So I consented to that. They got that organized and yeah, just gritted my teeth and had the sterile water injections, which are like a wasp sting in the middle of a contraction. Did you find that it helped? It is designed to block the pain receptors in that area of your back. Mm. But for me, because at this point I was in fact fully dilated, which we didn't realize because it had been so quick. I'd only been there about an hour and I'd gone from five centimeters to fully dilated while in the bath. It didn't do anything for me. <laughs> Remember, I said, okay, so how quickly does it work? They're like, okay, by the next, by the following contraction, you won't have any, like, it'll help. And the next couple of contractions, I'm like, no, this has done nothing. Get me out and get me an epidural. <laughs> <laughs> Which I knew that I didn't want. I knew, again, epidural, you know, can impact the, the whole process. It's just the cascade of intervention. And I really really didn't actually want it but at that point um <laughs> it sounds like maybe you were in transition perhaps well yeah you would gone pretty much to 10 centimeters so it, this is yeah. sort of a typical typical transitional behavior Response, yeah yeah <laughs> just read and, and heard stories and stuff <laughs> i remember at one point thinking not that i said it but i'm thinking okay i think we could just take me down to theater this will be fine we'll just we'll stop here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they got me out and they're like okay well we're not getting a good read so we'll have to get you out and sort of check where you're at and if you want to get an epidural you need to get out of the bath and i was like okay i'll get out and i think they had done a check and they knew that I was fully dilated. Again, they had not told me that I was fully dilated. So here's me like hanging out for this epidural that they keep sort of saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we're getting that organised. And <laughs> knowing full well that that was not coming. I'm like, okay, I'll just get into the shower while I wait. And I got into the shower and I sort of went to sort of back myself up into the corner to get a really good pressure from the shower. And the midwife's like, we can't catch a baby if you're facing that way. And I was like, no, hang on, but where's my epidural? Isn't that coming? <laughs> and, um, and my student midwife whispered to me, she goes, you're fully dilated. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, well, I can shut up then. <laughs> I can stop complaining because I know did, that's not coming. <laughs> did you feel relief when they told yeah. you that you were fully dilated? <laughs> I did. I remember sort of thinking, oh, okay cool I'm there right so baby will be here soon I'm like oh hang on I've got to push it <laughs> and so wasn't getting good reading and I think at this point I had gone into the shower and my husband told me later he's like whoa you're back so baby had dropped into the pelvis really fast he could see it he's like oh your back just kind of you know made this massive movement and um and that's when the heart rate dropped and, and they kept monitoring and it wasn't coming back up after the contraction. So he had got it down to around about 70 beats per minute, which is pretty low for a baby. 
and they'd stay down there for a few minutes. They're like, right, okay, let's get you um, back on the bed. And at this point they had called the obstetrician and they're like, you know, baby's getting really tired, really need to get baby out now. So I tried a couple of pushes and they, then the obstetrician's like, baby really needs to come out now. So we would like to perform an episiotomy, but we need your consent, which is really good. And I felt really good about that. I felt like the way they were talking to me was like I was, you know, respectful. And they were asking me rather than telling me. And, yeah, so I consented to the episiotomy. And then a few pushes, oh, one or two pushes later, she was born. So I think I only had about 16 minutes of pushing between the shower and getting on the bed and then the episiotomy and, and she was there. So that was just afterwards. It was amazing. I was just, I think I was actually really just gobsmacked. I think the whole process, all the way along, I was like, okay, so baby's breech, you know, okay, well, that's, you know, I won't be able to give birth vaginally. So let go of that. And even throughout labor, I'm like, no, I'm sure I'll end up, you know, down in theater. And and then, yeah, after she was born, I just still was like, oh, I couldn't believe that that had happened. It was amazing. So just I think there was a good few moments of just being a little bit gobsmacked. And um, then with the third stage of labour, I had initially asked to have a physiological third stage, but I said I'll wait about half an hour and see. Um, if not, then we'll have managed. But because of the episiotomy, they sort of said, oh, look, you know, we kind of want to get you stitched up fairly soon. So how do you feel about having the placenta come out now? And so I said, okay, yep, you know, let's just get it out. And yeah, so they gave me the shot and placenta came away fairly quickly. And then they began assessing uh, for stitching. And they said I had had second degree tear, a second degree episiotomy and a graze. And they were considering taking me down to theatre for that. And I was like, no. (laughs) The obstetricians had um, discussed it and they said that I could just be stitched in the birth suite, which was great. Yeah. And then Elsie, she latched perfectly. And she was on there, (laughs) latched for like two hours. Mm. And yeah, laughing and joking. It was, yeah, amazing afterwards. just. How did you feel? Um, I wanted to ask you, how did you feel that moment that she was placed on your chest? Um, my student midwife had um, caught her. They need to do so many accouches, but she had caught Elsie and placed her up on my chest. Yeah. And like I said, for me, it was so, it was really surreal. I think I kind of, yeah, still walk away from it looking, feeling like, what just happened? That's amazing. Like it was fantastic feeling, but still just, yeah, it was kind of like almost like an out of body experience. I was just like, is this really just happened? (laughs) Because, you know, I felt like I was fighting for it for so long that for it to actually happen. Um, Yeah. How did that feeling compare to your first birth experience? Um, With Lachlan, as much as the cesarean, as I said, was, as cesareans go, it was great. But I was still, like, I was crying throughout the whole thing. Uh, it was just something was just really upsetting me. I think I'm not a great person at, at standing down, pretty much. So to accept his birth and the decisions that we needed to make 
lying there and sort of still not getting the birth that I wanted. It was still just, you know, as much as I was so happy that my baby was there and my husband was so excited and it was really, and everyone was really lovely. I was still crying about his birth. So, and then with Elsie's, I was just, you know, I was just so happy. It was just so many beautiful emotions and feelings. You know, I was laughing and joking with my midwives and, you know, my husband and, I was just really amazed that it had all happened. It had actually, everything that I had wanted and fought for had actually happened. Yeah. Well done. Um, You know, you put a lot of effort and I can definitely say I can relate as someone who had a breech baby. It plays on your mind a lot during your pregnancy and your VBAC pregnancy for me anyway. And it sounds like it was for you. Both, I guess I wanted to ask you, you know, uh, do you have anything to say, like if you, what, what would you like to see in terms of the maternity system, any improvements on that, on that side from your own experience? I think I would like to see more options with breach. I was luckily, lucky enough that my midwife, um, after me telling her about what the obstetrician does and going to see him and, you know, her seeing my story, she hadn't heard of him at that point but then she met him at a conference about six months after Elsie was born and she asked him to come up to my hospital and do a presentation which was great and he did and I went along and I got to go see him again and said thank you you know because I didn't know without him whether or not I would have got my V back and everything that he does for women. So that was really, really positive that my pregnancy and birth had made a little bit of an impact at my hospital at least. What I found most interesting with the obstetrician coming to do the presentation was that one of the midwives had asked his perspective on breech VBAC and he said, you know, they're two separate sets of risks. So they're not a compounding risk. They don't make one more likely to have issues than the other. He said it's probably more of a situation where you would want to do monitoring. But apart from that, there's no reason why women shouldn't have breech feedbacks, which I found really, really positive. So the thing is with breech, it's so beyond your control. Apart from trying all the all the crazy things that we do to turn them. Mm. Um, if baby's going to stay breech or if there's a reason why baby is breech, it's not really something that we can change. So to have that as an option, to have that additional support to consider breech, breech birth or breech VBAC, for it to be a variation of normal rather than be something so different because really the percentage of women that have breech babies is fairly high. And I think it's something like... One in, one in twenty, or something. So mm. really, that's like five percent of women. And if you know the amount of women in Australia that have babies every year, that's a lot of breach. And so if they go on to have a cesarean because of a breech baby, and then they have another subsequent cesarean because they had the first cesarean for something that wasn't really an emergency or something that should be taught as a you know vaginal birth option then it just begins to snowball. The the rate of our caesareans in Australia is going up and up. And that's a preventable one. 
So I think I would like to see more breach training with practitioners and more support for women who want to have breach births and then even more so for women that want to have breach of evacs. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting point you make about just presenting those options to women when they do have a breach birth, you know, and presenting alternatives. Now, because of everything, I actually want to go on to do midwifery. Oh, so, That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Good on you. Great. Yeah. Oh, so it's a bit of a process for me because the uni here has a really high grade to get in. So I'm doing my first year of nursing now and then yeah. I'll transfer some of those subjects over to doing midwifery. Oh, so, great. That's fantastic. Yeah. So because of everything that happened, that sort of inspired you to... Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, if I can, yeah, help women with breech babies and, yeah, and I think, you know, like I had a lot of challenges I overcame with Lachlan and breastfeeding and if I'm able to sort of help women with those things and, and it's just, it's such an amazing thing, you yeah. know, and now just like, you know, just walk away from it going, wow, that is so fantastic amazing. and what, yeah. how much you can change someone's outcome. And I think before having kids, I didn't realise how important um, the support throughout pregnancy and birth and, you know, postnatal, mm-hmm. like how unbelievably important it is and how much you can impact someone's entire life from there on out. The more I look at it, I'm like, wow, I really want to do that. Thank yeah. you very much for sharing your story with us yeah and i wish you all the best with the study and with everything and it's be a long road ahead but i can't imagine not doing it now thank you for listening to this VBAC story if you like the show please subscribe and feel free to leave a review if you would like to connect with us on social media you can find us on instagram and facebook just search for VBAC birth stories If you have a question or you'd like to express interest in sharing your personal story, email us at vbackbirthstories at gmail.com. VBAC Birth Stories is a podcast where we share women's lived experiences. Please be advised that it's not intended to replace medical advice. If you have any concerns at all during your pregnancy, please always speak to your healthcare provider.